Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's groundbreaking book, In This Together, landed on bookstore shelves with a powerful message. When we work together, we can do absolutely anything. Guidance from 40 women leaders with specific strategies to help women advance their careers makes In This Together even more relevant today, especially with the pandemic's impact on women in the workforce. Take your career to the next level with Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's In This Together, now available on audiobook. Download your copy today. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go with a group. Folks, this podcast is brought to you by the Real Leaders Impact Collaborative, our once-a-month virtual impact CEO peer groups who meet to support each other with whatever is keeping them up at night. I joined the group back in September, and if I had to say the one major takeaway that I've received is that to not let things outside business affect your on-court performance. This little change has certainly reflected in our business growth and development. And when our members do well, more lives are transformed. That's what impact is all about. So if you're interested, please email us at info at real-leaders.com. Just say the podcast sent you and you want to speak to someone about the impact collaborative. Again, that's info at real hyphen leaders.com. Enjoy the show. Three, two, and one. And welcome everyone to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining us today, folks, is the one and only. Please welcome Mr. Simon Mainwaring, the founder of We First. Simon, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Kevin. Pleasure to be here. And also the author of Lead With We. Tell me a little bit about how the book uh, launch has been going. Thanks for asking. Uh, Lead With We, it's done great. It's a Wall Street Journal bestseller. It was nominated for the next big idea by Malcolm Gladwell and Adam Grant. McKinsey named it one of their top workplace culture business books bestsellers. And it won the gold medal for the Axiom Award for best uh, book in leadership category. So all of those things are great. But most importantly, you know, it gets it's getting into people's hands and it's resonating with them. The book is called Lead With We, and it's all about the future of collaborative leadership. How do we work together in new ways that allow us to restore and protect the natural and social systems on which all of our futures depend? And I'm just really, really grateful that it's getting into people's hands and hopefully making a positive impact. And for people interested in the book right now, uh, how do you define collaboration? What do you mean exactly? You know, collaboration is as much a practice as it is a mindset. And I think we all know what it's like to partner with somebody else. Most companies or startups, you know, they work with a nonprofit or they make some sort of difference. But it's a very, very big shift if the point of departure, the presumption on, for which, on, on the basis of which everything you do is that we're going to do it together. So just ask yourself, like, you know, if I was to lead with we as a CEO, what does that mean? when typically it's been a hierarchical top-down structure, how does that reframe, you know, how you work with your executive team, with your employees and so on? If you're a startup and you're going to market, you're getting an MVP out there, how does it frame, you know, the partners you bring and how much you collaborate out of the gate to build your brand, to scale your impact, not after three or five years when you've sold a lot of products, but right out of the gate. So, you know, leading with we is a, is a reframing and it embraces this idea of collaboration as a point of departure, as a decision-making filter for every decision you make, and also a higher order aspiration in the sense that everything we do should be an opportunity to lead 
with as many stakeholders as possible in service of the greatest number of people and planet, the we. And, and who wouldn't want to get behind something like that? If you were to be approached about a collaboration as a company, uh, to, to have the opportunity to collaborate with someone else, to work toward a common greater goal, while also delivering on, on profitability and uh, brand awareness and, and uh, you know, uh, consumer sales. I just think it's a you know a, a new mindset people need to make the shift to. Um, so let's talk about that mindset a little bit today, Simon. Uh, what are you seeing right now that's happening out in the business landscape, and and how do business leaders need the shift to become more collaborative uh, to overcome a lot of the obstacles that uh, are happening right now? Well, I want to say that everything I'm going to share right now is with a view to growth. I mean, if we're not building your business, what are we doing? You know, you can't have a mission without a margin. You've got to actually be in business. But here's what's happening. There's growing awareness amongst investors, employees, consumers, customers, suppliers, leaders, that these challenges that we're facing, these compounding crises, the climate emergency, you know, biodiversity, carbon in the air, chemicals in the soil, plastics in the ocean, they are all compounding out in the future and hurtling back towards us in the present. And so there's this hockey stick of expectation coming towards business where what you're doing today won't cut it. I mean, in my opinion, right now, there's a lot of carrot in terms of businesses showing up differently and, and be, you know, going from less bad to more good. But there's also a big stick coming where pretty soon companies that are not demonstrable, defensible, transparent about the positive impact they're having, they're going to have their social license to, to, to be in business revoked, whether it's by the investors that make their business possible, the employees who won't work for them, or the customers that won't buy their product. With that as context, the thing that I observe in all our work at We First, because we work with large, complex global enterprises and startups, is that a lot of leaders, for understandable reasons, have one foot in the past and one foot in the future, in the sense that they're trying to put themselves first and lead with profit for profit's sake. And then they also realize they've got to show up differently and work together in new ways. And it's not an either or proposition, but you're not going to unlock the full benefit of leading with we unless you fully commit to working with others in new ways to scale your impact to the benefit of all. And I see this tension playing out right now. So the, to your point, we need to embrace a new mindset, a collaborative mindset, lock, stock and barrel from the top of your organization all the way through if we're going to achieve new goals. And if you try to achieve new goals with an old mindset, you're just going to be frustrated. And do you think that a lot of business owners, a lot of leaders right now are operating with a scarcity mindset due to uh, economic restraints and restrictions during the last recession? I think it's almost inevitable. I mean, you know, we all have contact with a lot of leaders in startups to large companies, and they've been reeling from COVID. They've been reeling from climate crisis. They've been reeling from Ukraine. They've been reeling from the new ex expectations and appropriate expectations after the Black Lives Matter movement. They've been reeling from supply chain disruption. And so you never seem to find your own solid footing right now on the basis of which you can make strides. So it's like this constant sort of running with the, the, the sand moving underneath your feet. That said, I think you're seeing leaders start to embrace a higher tolerance for risk where they're increasingly saying, this is the right thing to do. And on the basis of that, that integrity, I'm going to be attract the employees that I want. 
I'm going to keep the talent I want. We're going to go to market with more conscious products and we're going to collaborate more authentically with others so we can scale our growth and impact together. And so, you know, as much as people would like to sit on their hands or point to all of these challenges as an excuse for why they're not changing in the ways they need to, I think the marketplace is going to be increasingly unforgiving on companies that aren't showing up in and of themselves in a preemptive capacity to drive the change they need to see within their own businesses, within their industry, the communities they serve, and the world at large. And, and so let's talk about one of those hurdles, one of those challenges. A lot of the leaders that we know are facing right now, one of those is hiring. Um, the, the stereotypical scenario you'll, you'll see, and this is just being back up in Portland, Oregon, back in my hometown, it was nice to kind of be back up there for a while and see what, what has changed. And what I noticed is, is, Simon, when you go to Taco Bell at 9 p.m. and it's supposed to be open until 11, they've got two workers who don't want to work. They said, yeah. hey, I'm, I'm not working right now. We only have two people. Then you go to the five guys next door and they, you know, they only have two workers as well. And then yeah. you go to the next restaurant, the next restaurant, the next restaurant. And here you really get to understand from a different perspective how bad the labor market is right now and and what's uh, just a, kind of opens your mind to why why is it people aren't working you know these low labor jobs seems like the middle class is almost gone uh, how do businesses such as these consumer products uh, could be a, your service companies could be a local manufacturer out, out in the outskirts of town uh, what do these business leaders have to do to change to start uh, acquiring top tier talent versus getting um, out competed by a, a larger corporation? I mean, I see this problem. I see CEOs and executives wringing their hands everywhere. No one can find the people to work in the factory lines that they need to work at the restaurants and cafes to work across any type of company, B2B or B2C. And I think it comes back to your point earlier on about this idea of individuation and this scarcity mentality. I think in the same way that business for a long time has been extracted, it's also been exploitative in the sense that companies will do the bare minimum for their employees to comply with whatever the regulations or laws might be. And you know the, the, the overriding sentiment was, you're lucky to have a job, as opposed to the work environment, individually and collectively, should be fulfilling, rewarding, and productive for mm. you. And I think COVID created this moment, which you know the tragedy that it was, forced all of us to step back and reassess what's important in our life and you've seen this, you know, the great resignation recast as the great rethink, the great reimagination, the great reshuffle, which is all different ways of saying, wait a second, what do I want to be doing with my time? So to, to your point, what, is it a, what does an employer, large company, small company need to do? They need to make sure that they effectively communicate internally and externally the role that the company is playing in the world that is larger than themselves so that people want to work there. And that's only going to increase as we see more climate crises issues play out, more unsustainable agricultural issues, more sort of uh, disparity of wealth and the have and the have nots become, you know, more extreme. And so, you know, you need to look at workers in a different sense. You need to recognize, you know, the human capital that walks in, in every day, this flesh where they are human beings with hopes and dreams and aspirations and, and challenges. And just a couple of the expressions of that now is, the widespread accommodation or adoption of the hybrid work environment where you can work from home or you can work from office and that flexibility and so on. That was unimaginable three years ago, but it's been forced on employers in a sense in service of a better calibration of the dynamic between employer and employee 
in service of the employees. And that's just one indicator and you're seeing perks and you're seeing time off and you're seeing mental health support and all of these things that look at each employee as a whole human being, their holistic health. That's a big burden on employees in new ways, but there's no way you're going to thrive unless you really see the people that work not for you, but with you as flesh and blood human beings. And if you're a business leader and owner, you're, you're trying to hire people right now. We're trying to help you out with this mindset shift. So if this isn't making sense right now, let's continue to keep talking about this from the experiences that we've had. Uh, one of the experiences I had this past weekend is right after we met the most, I went over to another conference in San Francisco with One Tree Planted. Now, One Tree Planted, Simon, is a nonprofit. They focus on reforestation efforts, and they've grown from about 10 to now 70 employees. This was a clear and really the first time since I've been working remote um, where I've, I've seen firsthand uh, employees enthused about the job that they do, no matter where they are in the organization. Um, there was an ongoing joke that you know, people get hired on their vibe. Well, their vibe is positive and they want to work uh, to restore trees uh, in the environment and in, in the, uh, the communities that they serve. Um, clear example of a, a, a purpose-driven company attracting engaged and talent that come to work every single day wanting to make a difference. The question for you, Simon, to help this business owner out who has a for-profit company, how can they expand their mind and think a little bit differently about their hiring practices, about the, the wages that they're paying their employees, uh, and about the purpose of their organization? Well, I think there's three table stakes that every company in any industry of any size needs to get right. First is fair and living wage. Second is sustainability. And the third is DNI, diversity and inclusion. If you do not get those three right, and by right, I mean you need to be working towards it, actively working towards it. No one gets anything right any of the time. We all know that for sure. But then above and beyond that, you need to stop thinking about, uh, you know, looking for employees as sort of filling a functional role, ticking a box, you know, in, a, in your org chart and really doing a marketing campaign where you reach out to everybody and share the vision of what you're hoping to co-create. And so it's a very different experience for an employee, whether they're looking at something on LinkedIn or they get a referral from someone or they get a JD, a job description, and a company paints a picture as to the role it's having in the world. And that is their purpose, why they exist, what gets them out of bed in the morning, what pisses them off so royally that it, may, you know, it makes them do what they do. And that taps into not just the head of that potential candidate, but the heart. And then all the other perks that go with it, the fair and living wage, the, you know, the, the, the benefits, the healthcare, the time off, the whatever it might be, should be then framed as an expression of that authentic commitment to those values that inform that purpose. So, you know, suddenly it's a, it's a whole different conversation where someone will come in your door, you'll have an interview, and instead of being so, let's look at your resume and where you've been and da, 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 it's like, listen, we shared a little bit about what we care about and how we're showing up in the world. We would love to understand you better and really just talk about what's important to you because working here shouldn't just be filling a role, it should be fulfilling for you. So we'd love to understand what type of role in a company like this would really fulfill you, would really add meaning to your life. That is a whole different conversation and a very different experience 
And when the candidate walks away, having applied to two or three other positions, and they've had a very qualitatively different experience with your company, they'll come to you every time. And they may even not demand or command the highest wage because they want to work for a purposeful company. That's really meaningful to them. That has value to them. So Sam, let's say you're a business leader who makes widgets, right? And you've, you've done- Love your- widgets. Widgets. I don't even know what one is, but they've been around forever in every metaphor, every, whatever. Widgets, love them. Just I've got widget. 10 of them in the you back. just love yeah. widgets. And uh, you've done this re- repurposing. You've done this rebranding. You're, you're ready to launch this marketing campaign that you just spoke about. Where do you go? What are some pieces of advice for that business leader uh, trying to understand where they should put their money? Yeah, well, there's a few different places where you can invest and you're investing in your human capital. I always think about the P&L of any company, even if you're a startup, solopreneur, your kitchen table. If you look at an Excel spreadsheet of all your costs, the, the highest cost item is always your salary base, you know, your employees. So you've really like, why would you not invest in that most effectively? And it's interesting, you know, depending on which report you look to, folks like Gallup and so on report that between 27 and 33 percent of U.S. employees say that they're fully engaged. Like what other area on your product manufacturing, on your design, on your R&D, would you allow to be 30 percent effective? That does my head in. So where you invest is firstly working out who on earth you are, who the hell you are as a CEO or as a leader or as a company. And you say to yourself, and it's just three questions to that end you can ask yourself. Um, and these are from the work we do at We First with lots of different companies that are, these are real. This is not theory. This is what you know, companies use to define their purpose. You know, what is your enemy in the sense of what gets you out of bed in the morning? You know, what royally pisses you off and makes you want to do something? You know, what are you the only of? Because, you know, as a company, as a leader, you know, you're the only, only you. You've only you have had that journey. And then thirdly, when you're at your best, what are you doing? You know, when you're, when you're high-fiving each other and you've crushed it. So, First place I'd invest my money is working out what that is. Because if you don't know what it is, how the hell could you tell, share it with anybody else? The second thing, I would invest in a marketing campaign that really captures that. And what does that look like? It might be a manifesto film on your LinkedIn page that really captures the purpose of your company. It might be social posts or white papers or blog posts that speak to the purpose and the values of the company. So a candidate, when they do their, you know, research about you, they really see that you're not only clear about who you are, but you're showing up authentically in that way. And then the third area I might invest in is in the onboarding process. And what do I mean? Most candidates, when they go to work at a company, they, they get the job, hurrah, huzzah, smash the glass. And, uh, you know, then they don't hear anything for the next six weeks. And then they turn up at work on first day at work and they're like, where's my desk? And you might see the HR person and you get a computer and like, good luck, or whatever the job may be. Instead of that, imagine you invested with an iPhone and a white wall and created a series of videos from new and long-standing employees in the company talking about why it's meaningful for them to work at that company. And every single week in that six-week period from when you're starting to onboard that candidate, you drip feed one video a week where you hear from other people inside the organization why it's meaningful to them to work there. By the, day, by the time day one arrives, you know that employees are seen. You know that employees like working there for different reasons. You've met some of those employees. You know that leadership or the company sufficiently elevates the purpose of the company to go to the trouble of sharing that with you. It's a whole different experience when you walk in the door. So define your purpose, do a marketing campaign that reflects that, 
and make sure the onboarding experience really is consistent with that expectation so that when you arrive on day one, they're excited, they're jazzed, you've tapped into the role that they want to play for their own fulfillment. And that way you'll get the most out of it. I love that. And this is a nice segue into like the, the, the employee retention aspect. You, you've just hired someone. How do you make sure they, they remain in the organization? In your experience, Simon, how have you been able to manage a new employee's expectations? What have you heard about? What are some, maybe some tangible takeaways for people listening today? Well, I'd like to think I've always done it well, but I haven't. And I've screwed up so many different ways. And I'm sure current or former employees would be jump at you know, sharing how. So wouldn't say I got it right at all. Um, what we do, there's a couple of like literal moving parts. We do biannual reviews instead of annual reviews because we want to talk to people regularly, um, more regularly than others might once a year. We also do a... Um, uh, a happy hour every Friday afternoon. We all in virtual world, we do something we've been playing the last couple of weeks, you know, these meme games and having a lot of fun at each other's expense and having a good time and, and so on. In the physical world, we go out and do things, you know, once a month, once it was a COVID appropriate, like last time, or actually last week, we went and um, uh, we provided, we volunteered for meals on wheels and we all packed 700 meals for people in the um, South Los Angeles. Um, prior to that, we went axe throwing. There's a pub in Los Angeles where you go axe throwing and they serve alcohol. Not the smartest business plan perhaps, but a good time had by all. Um, and then we once a week, we have our all hands or all staff meeting. And we have something at the beginning of that, which we call strengths, strengths and stretches, which is something I took from my daughter's kindergarten where you'd sit there and go, well, the stretch this week was, I didn't do this or that. I, I, you know, I'm not feeling that well, you know, I've lost a pet, you know, um, I'm just feeling off, I'm sort of feeling, you know, down because of COVID. And then, you know, uh, that's your stretch. And then a strength would be something you're feeling good about. I'm glad that we did that piece of business or that product got launched or, or whatever it might be. So the larger point here is to meet those employees' expectations. You've got to show that the purpose of the company is a living and breathing force inside the organization. It's got to have a cadence to it where it's not like, okay, we, we get up there and the marketing max at the company say we're gonna be purposeful once and then you never hear anything about it again for six months and that purpose balloon and the excitement around it drops to the ground. You have to create, you have to institutionalize the purpose and values of the company. And then one other point on this would be, this is a co-creative exercise. So for example, the employees decide, you know, the team decides where we go and volunteer you know, each month. Um, but also, if you want to change the company, you want to expand your products and services, if you want to go into a new market, everyone's got to feel like they're part of that process in service of the stated purpose. So as long as you've got a clear purpose that is larger than yourself, it allows you to make decisions about what to do, but also what not to do, and everyone should be involved. When you do that, when it's a co-creative process and you institutionalize the purpose inside the organization, in the ways that I suggested, but more, it's, a, it's really fun because, you know, you feel it in the air and, and that's when what happens then people say, yeah, you should come and work here because we have a great time. We all care about each other. It's very down to worth. It's very inclusive. And that, that's just what you want. And, and such an important note, especially for these leaders listening to this, they're going to make the shift to a purpose driven culture, company and, and branding and marketing. 
the cadence that you just suggested, uh, so important during the change management aspect of transforming your culture, your organization, your hiring efforts. Talk a little bit more about that. What, what do you mean by cadence, drip? Uh, what are your intervals in terms of uh, introducing new concepts and, and a, a large plan to you know, people who aren't really in, in, the, in the top level? Well, above and beyond that onboarding process, which sets an expectation up that, you know, um, of what the experience of the company would be like. I mean, we have weekly all-hand meetings where there's the strength and stretch exercise. We have weekly happy hour where we just hang out, go and talk about work and have fun. Then we have, a, at a minimum, a quarterly volunteering opportunity because COVID disrupted, you know, how we were doing that. And then we would at least, um, we try to once a month have a social outing all together as a team where we just get to relate each other and get to like each other and like spending time with each other. And then, you know, I think above and beyond that, if you are a purposeful company and you're walking your talk, it's, it's, it informs the blog post you put out, you know, we have a podcast, you know, all the different ways that you go to market, it should be infused in that as well. And so wherever, you know, an employee or a new employee looks, they're kind of like, wow, you know, this is informing everything we do both in terms of what is directed towards us specifically as internal stakeholders, but also how we're going out to market and how we're showing up um, in, in the world. We also do some pro bono work for different clients that we just really believe in what they're doing and, and, and just want to support them at a time when they need it most. So um, that, that's some of the ways. Could we be doing more? Sure. Could we, I don't know, um, reimagine what we're doing to take it to the next level. Yeah, but like every entrepreneur, we're all, you know, myself and the team are just like scrambling to make sense of this crazy world we live in. You know? uh, so uh, you mentioned kind of like, you know, the, the marketing prospect, uh, process and, and this go-to-market strategy, uh, you know, having this being your, for, your forte, your experience working with a lot of these purpose-driven brands, taking this new idea, this new branding, uh, these new concepts and products to market, what are some helpful tips uh, for the widget owner uh, to, to bring their, their company to market? Yeah, I think I'd, I'd think about it this way. Um, it's, a, it's an ecosystem. You know, um, it's not uh, tactics specific to channels. Sure. And especially if you're in the B2B world, you know, you, you don't really typically think of marketing and you should. We create an ecosystem to create awareness as to what we care about and the role we're playing. So this is just unique to we first, but I've written a couple of books, the most recent one, Lead With We, and that's codifying our IP. Here's our point of view out there. Here's our thought leadership. That's why I, hopefully we have a seat at the table for the conversation in the industry. Then we have a podcast and we put it out there. And all we do in that podcast is celebrate companies that are not being purposeful because everyone knows that we need to be, but how they get it done so that others can better understand. So it's not about so much what we think as it is about, look, this is what a B2B company is doing. Here's a startup, this is what it's doing. Here's a global enterprise. So, so that's another piece. Then we have a cadence of blog posts. You know, I write, a, I've been a contributor for Forbes for a long time, probably eight years now, and there's over 500 articles in there. And that's always, again, celebrating other companies, you know, that are there. And then um, I do a bunch of speaking, which is sort of a function of being an author. Um, but that allows you to get in front of people and so on. The larger point here is that if you have a purpose and it's larger than the company itself, one of the ways that you've got to deliver on executing that purpose is to build your company and grow it so you can scale your impact. But a percentage of that 
has to be to drive, provoke, instigate the change in your industry as well. And in terms of collaborators larger than your company itself, it can't just be all limited to the four walls of your company. You've got to drive change outside of your company. And so all of those different sort of nodes in our network or our ecosystem are just ways we go to market to hopefully inspire people to go, okay, I get the thinking, hopefully that makes sense. And then B, I see how others are doing it. And D, I'm kind of like, I've got resources to tap into and go back to, to kind of level up my game. But you know, 95% of our time is spent doing the consulting work for companies, but 5% of it is very consciously carved out to be a thought leader in, serve, in service of your larger purpose. And, 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 that, and it's not marketing, it's, um, it's mobilizing everyone in and around your purpose. I've never thought of it as marketing. It is just like walking your talk. And you're going to activate a lot of individuals' purposes along the way. I mean, and it goes what you were saying with the attraction of employees and, and, and more so around building your company's role within society, within the world today. And when, that, when you say that, one of the companies that comes to mind, of course, is the poster child for this movement, Patagonia, you know, a privately held organization that is, it doesn't need to be influenced by a lot of shareholder value and is able to make those decisions because it's inherently uh, built into their process, which is what you talk about a lot with, uh, with Lead With We, uh, the book. I want to talk about Twitter right now because of the, the private, it's going from public now to private. Uh, with oh my God, what's going to happen? I'm on, I'm on Nintendo. Yes, you know, I, it's, it's his, it's all his. I, I will yes. be honest to say I'm not that well versed in this matter. Uh, mm. I don't really pay a lot of attention to it. Um, although I do think it's very interesting. Tell me a little bit about your experience. What are your thoughts on this move by Elon Musk? Well, I mean, you know, the first book I wrote, We First, was called We First, How Brands and Consumers Use Social Media to Build a Better World. So been sort of deeply invested in social media for a long time. I think the jury is out right now. Um, as I understand it, this is all secondary sort of information from looking at the news like anybody else. But there was frustration um, on Elon Musk's side as to how the company was um, operating. And also from a shareholder point of view, it hadn't performed nearly as aggressively as a lot of the other tech companies out there. Not that's the full measure of success, but that's another component of it. The challenge is, you know, when you have someone who is on one hand very inspiring as a sustainability leader through Tesla and, you know, Solar City and other companies that he's had, and at the same time controversial when he's looking to Mars, when a lot of people would say, hey, let's take care of business here because it's very easy to turn Earth into Mars, but it's very hard to turn Mars into Earth. So he's controversial there. And at the same time, he is a colorful character. I mean, on one hand, he's shutting down politicians who are saying offensive things, which a lot of people can get behind. At the other, on the other hand, he's shutting down people who are short-selling Tesla stock. He's shorting Tesla stock. So, you know, when you have full control of the board and the company and you have the reach and resonance of Twitter, which could be more, sure, but it's still, you know, um, very well known all around the world for all the reasons we know. Um, it's a concern as to see whether it will become a, um, an effective tool for free speech or whether Elon Musk or anyone will run into the inevitable challenges of trying to navigate what the hell free speech is. Does that mean anyone has a license to say whatever they want against anyone? Does it mean that you can have anonymous accounts and Twitter handles where you don't have to reveal who you are? 
Does it mean you can protect your own self-interest when it serves you, but the rest of the time hold everybody accountable to a different standard? And my sense of what I'm seeing out there in the, in the commentary is just the jury's out because he's such a sort of maverick personality. He's very unpredictable. He's very playful. He provokes. And we'll see what happens. Watch this space, I guess. So let's just assume Elon Musk read your book, right? And, and he's, uh, you know, he's, he's active on Twitter. He's building his own personal brand very authentic with the way he thinks you know not a lot of people get to hear exactly what the ceo is thinking what are some of the things that he did right along his journey to to, to fandom you know gosh there's a lot of things he does right um firstly years ago he laid out his plan in one of the first blog posts he wrote for tesla and it's a roadmap for movement building for any company in the sense that he launched the model s which is the sort of more upscale version of a Tesla. And not only did it deliver on the creature comforts, but it delivered on the safety features with a five-star, arguably six-star rating, speed, and all the different parameters that allowed it to compete from a point of parity with the combustion engine equivalents. Once he made his case, in the face of so much resistance from every automaker in the US who tried to shut him down in every which way possible, he then democratized access to that technology through the Model 3 at an affordable price point, which was seen to be a roaring success all around the world. And it's the number one automaker by virtue of sales, and he's the richest man in the world. And it's just extraordinary how the sheer will that he has, um, by sheer will, he's actually achieved this success in the face of whether it's SEC pushing back, as it's being revealed in the media right now, let alone all the other automakers. You know, and now, what has been the impact of his success? 11 years ago, when I wrote my first book, he was being pillared for what he was trying to do. Now, every single major US automaker has declared their commitment to fully transition to alternative energy vehicles by a certain day. He has transformed perhaps the most indentured industry in the US, the car industry, Detroit, in, an, in, a, in the span of a decade and taken a lot of hits on the way. That is one thing. The second thing is in order to do that, he did demonstrate some powerful lead with we principles. For example, he opened up the IP to his battery technology so that he could accelerate the proliferation of charging stations across the US because without which you couldn't you know, execute um, his plan. And time and again, even in the face of aggression and, and literal attacks by other automakers, he has enabled the transition of the industry. Um, I think that is a very, very powerful demonstration. And he actually was very articulate about saying he cannot, in good conscience, hold on to that IP if he's going to be true to his word in terms of, you know, empowering sustainable mass transportation, which was the original role of, of Tesla. You know, the other things that he's done, you know, SpaceX and, and Solar City and all these other things, there's so much nuance to them all. But I think he has probably, and I've never really thought about this before, but he has demonstrated resilience in terms of leadership, whether you like him or not, at a level that I think is a little breathtaking. You know, across all of these billion dollar companies, taking on all these different industries, I believe they're now releasing uh, very affordable, sustainable houses that are completely independent of the energy grid. And they're gonna be marketing those as well, Tesla. He is taking on major industries in service of the collective good. 
and in service of our planet. And I think that's admirable. You know, obviously Tesla being, you know, uh, electric cars, uh, you mentioned building, you know, your company role in this society, in this world. This acquisition of Twitter uh, was on the premise of free speech, protecting that. Uh, do you think that gives uh, Twitter, the employees in it, uh, any acceleration or act activism uh, when it comes to uh serving that role of protecting free speech? You know, one would like to think that if that was the motive behind what Elon Musk does, and um, I have no idea, there was a dinner several years ago where someone said to me, come to dinner. And I was like, oh, I'm exhausted during the week, got things to do, blah, blah, blah. And there was four people there and one of them was Elon Musk and they told me the day after. I'm like, damn it! I don't know why I wanted to go, but it would have been just great to sort of hear his thinking. Um, but, uh, you know, I would love to think that free speech is going to be interrogated as a concept philosophically and also from a practical point of view through the lens of media and all the distortion and, and um, bifurcation that's created today. But um, I also think he's this charismatic leader who expresses his own whims and you know the employees might find themselves you know at sea. I'm sure they're all right now just going, what company am I working for? Who is the leader, Elon Musk? Will he be the day-to-day -day sort of leader? And what is he going to do with this platform? And I think we've all still got, you know, PTSD from the last election cycle in terms of how polarizing the misuse of platforms can be. And with, you know, midterms and then elections coming up, none of us want to see when the planet literally, our survival as a species is at stake, another sort of riotous disintegration of media channels into self-interest at a time we need to come together in ways that, you know, have never existed before. So all of that is to say, you know, the employees can expect Elon Musk. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's one way to put it. Now, I know he referred to Twitter as, you know, a virtual city council where anyone that wants to, to be on there and have their own voice heard uh, can show up, join the platform, and, and debate things. Uh, when it comes to the role of the company, what are some things that uh, you think would be helpful to make sure that a uh, virtual city council um, doesn't turn into, uh, you know, a, a uh, fort, you know, uh, pit, fort pitches and in, in, uh, fires? Right. I mean, you know, one of the ways that they Twitter expressed its role in the world very early days in the first couple of years was the pulse of the planet. And I thought that was a very powerful expression of how the immediacy they capture, the heartbeat of the planet. So that's the opportunity. At the same time, one of the concerns I have, whether it's Twitter or the metaverse and Web3, is we saw the colonization of the real world by major corporations that by and large control markets, control politicians, control our experience of life. And a lot of commentators out there are now questioning whether in the metaverse we're going to be slaves or citizens and whether corporate interests will set up and frame behaviors that we as consumers or citizens won't even be conscious of and what what will that cost us ultimately financially or otherwise in the same breath when i look at twitter today you know i think there's enormous potential to be this real-time rapid response um, communication rallying point um, aggregator convener around the issues that are most important in our lives. And by that, I mean, we can all argue about what TMZ story 
broke the day before about some celebrity doing something silly. I mean, that's not where I put my time or attention. But as I mentioned in terms of the hockey stick of expectation coming on business, extreme weather is going to become more frequent in our lives. Climate refugees are going to become more frequent in our lives, and that's going to lead to sort of maybe nationalism or protectionism, and it could lead to civil war. And what we saw in Syria could be, you know, just the start of something. And in fact, the last IPCC report that came out that said that we're on track for a 2.75 degrees Celsius rise in temperature, as opposed to the two degrees Celsius rise, rise in temperature, said that even at two degrees, there's the prospect of between 800 million and 3 billion people that will have a chronic lack of access to clean water. Yep. What is that going to do to our lives? What is that going to do to our communities? What is that going to do to our cities? And then you have extreme weather on top of that. You have loss of biodiversity at the same time. They, you know, the same report was saying that 29% of species will be lost. There is going to be multiple crises at all times. And if you think that sounds dramatic, just look at our last two or three years we've all been through. We've had COVID, BLM, climate, um, Ukraine. So I think Twitter has this huge opportunity at a local, statewide, national level, at a global level, to be a real-time convener of people who share values and a common goal to show up in ways to better serve all of our futures under extreme conditions. And if you're an entrepreneur right now, you're thinking opportunity, you're thinking, how do we solve these problems uh, so we don't run into them? And how can, I, how can I profit off of them as well, of course? Um, let's get back to the mindset of a business owner right now with these climate conditions hurtling back to us, as you say, with everything that's going on in the world today with economic recession, supply chains, wars, how do I, after this conversation today, Simon, open my mind from a scarcity mindset to an abundance one? Yeah, I mean, the big shift that is the unlock without which we're not going to be able to deal with all these crises on an individual corporate level, company level, or you know, as a species, is that we need to move away from this unhelpful and hurtful individuation, this fear-based mentality, this scarcity mentality, where this is not yours, it's mine. And for profit for profit's sake, and my success at your expense. Instead, we need to embrace a mindset that is inherent in the natural world and always has been. We're an aberration, which is, you know, abundance and community and codependence and mutuality. And so as a business leader, we just need to, we don't have to learn something new. We just got to remember what we forgot, which is we are intimately connected and mutually dependent on each other as human beings and on the planet we share. Mm. And if we're going to do anything differently, we need to mimic nature. We need to recognize the regenerative engine that is nature where, you know, as a creative act, as a life force, things are born and then they die and all the different components of the ecosystem work together to make life itself possible. And, you know, we've got a very stark choice coming our way. The IPCC report says we've got three years to reach peak emissions after which they need to go down and yet they're increasing every year. Um, and we're only gonna be accountable to ourselves, you know, if we ignore these things. Um, but as an entrepreneur, you can say, okay, in order, and this is all in self-interest, healthy self-interest as opposed to selfishness, but healthy self-interest, if I'm going to shore up my reputation, if I am going to attract the employees I want, if I'm going to innovate and do R&D to make products that the marketplace needs, if I am going to 
get the purchases of a growing number of conscious consumers, especially younger demographics. And if I'm gonna be relevant and on the right side of history, as our experience, our daily experience of life becomes more acute, then I need to work out what the purpose of my company is. I need to embrace a, a collaborative mindset where we lead with we, where in the sense that we consciously choose not to participate, not to wait till everyone else has done it, but to say within your product category and in your industry and in your sector, this moment in time, how do you lead most meaningfully in terms of how you're showing up in the world? With the greatest number of stakeholders, otherwise competitors, cross-sector, non-profits, whoever it might be that cares about the same things to scale awareness and your reach and your impact to serve the largest number of people. And there's a dynamic here which drives me crazy, Kevin. If we all sit in a room, 50 of us, and we all go, all right, we're gonna duke it out. It's, it's either mine or yours. Whatever that thing is, I'm gonna get the most of it. We're gonna have a certain level of success. But if we have 50 people in that same room saying, we are going to work together to, best, to the best degrees we can, because it's always an art, not a science, you know, to make sure that everyone is taken care of for as long as possible with, you know, whatever that thing is, you, it's a force multiplier. You are so much more powerful and capable and productive and successful when everyone's working with you to that end. So if you're really interested in getting ahead, embrace your healthy self-interest enough to work with others so that you can achieve more together. Because we've tried the alternative for the last several decades and it's coming at the cost of our future and the future of the planet. Well said, Simon. For folks listening out there, you want to learn how to collaborate, you want to learn how to lead with we, go to leadwithwe.com and also search We First Inc. in any search browser and Simon will pop up. Simon, pleasure speaking with you again, my friend. It was long overdue, of course. Long overdue. We've all been off doing our things and now we're back and, um, you know, I just so appreciate the chance to share some thinking with the amazing community you have and be part of the Real Leaders community. And I just got to say, this is not the end of something. What we're doing right now is not doom and gloom the end of something. This is the beginning of an inflection point where we're reimagining and re-engineering business. And we're going to launch this most incredible renaissance in business where we're going to work with nature rather than against it. And that birthing process is appropriately painful, but it's begun. And more and more every day, more people, great people, best of breed, smart people are getting involved. And together, you know, there's nothing we can't achieve. So it's time to go like hell. We'll go like hell, folks. And if you want to get Simon's book, again, leadwithwe.com. Simon also hosts the podcast, Lead With We. Simon Maywarns. Simon, for Simon Maywarn, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there. And always, folks, never forget, keep it real. Thanks, Simon. Thanks, Kevin. And thank you, good people, for hanging on to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. And before we go today, I just want to make sure that you are all aware that we have now launched our new Real Leaders membership. If you want to get access to all of Real Leaders Magazine, private member-only events, and free courses online, hit the link in the show notes and enter in coupon code PODCAST20 to receive 20% off a 100 dollar a year subscription hit the link in the show notes enter in coupon code podcast 20 to receive access to all of real leaders to get you to the next level thanks for listening to this episode 
and always, keep it real.